sort of doing a study and series on the road to change. And I've been asking God why I've been sick. Because most of you know that I've been sick. And God's been showing me that it's actually an analogy for what's happening in the life of the church. Because you know that I was full of rubbish and that God was cleaning me out. But it's also an analogy for what's happening here in the life of the church. That God wants to clean us out. He wants us to be transformed in such a way that we're not fighting for victory, but we're fighting from victory. Now, we don't have a whole heap of baggage that we're dragging around in life that we unload on a Sunday morning, then pick back up again Monday morning and keep going through that same cycle. That's not what God's design is. You know, he wants us to be living in freedom under grace, not in torment and turmoil and having to come back to the altar every week you know, flat out, we should be at a place in our life where we are really got very short accounts with God. But the problem is, if I was to tell you that the road sign was change ahead, most people would take a detour, right? Would avoid having to go through the process of transformation. But I find that really strange because isn't that what Christianity is all about? From day one, it's a process of sanctification, of being changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And he will not stop trying to change us. And if we cooperate, it'll happen quickly. If we don't cooperate, we'll look out. Because God will put all sorts of things in our way to get our attention. It might take two years, it might take 10 years, it might take 20 years. But God will not give up. He won't relent until he has it all. All of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength devoted and committed to him. There's a few options that can happen when God's starting to put the, the finger of change upon us. A lot of people just run away. The world does not want to look in the mirror of, a, of, of God, of Jesus Christ. They don't want to do it because they know when they're exposed, what's hidden deep inside is ugly. And people don't want to look at it. That's why people don't want to come to church. That's why they don't want to know about God because they've got to bring what's in darkness into light. And that takes courage and it takes humility. That's why I love the church. That's why I love the people in the church because we've made a decision not to retreat. We've made a decision that we're going to deal with what's ugly about our life and let God heal it. But sometimes in that squirmish season of change, we react. Even though we've given God permission, sometimes we react. And in reacting, we can sometimes get really defensive okay, and put up all sorts of walls. I'm not going to change. I can see all those people down the front changing, but no, God, I'm not changing. We're not robbing anybody else but ourselves. And God really wants us to enter into a decision to say, yes, Lord, I want to be changed. One of the strategies is that we shift the blame. Oh, I don't need any changing. But that Darren down there, he needs lots of changing. You know, we, we actually mentally do that. We, we default from saying, God, put the spotlight on me. And we say, put it on all those other people because they need it more. No. We all need changing. We all need to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that's why I love this group of people. Because what I'm seeing is people that are responding and saying, Lord, I want the closet clean. I don't want to carry this baggage anymore. I don't want the dysfunction. I don't want the relational hassles. I want to be in a, in a good place in relationship with you and one another. And I really believe that that's what Nikki was talking about this morning. 
that God has given us a mission as a church to to testify and witness to the community, not by banging down their front door and saying, do you believe in Jesus Christ? But by relational observation, people will go, there's something different. There's a freedom, there's a liberty, there's a lightness in your spirit. There's something about your lives that is different. I want it. What is it? But you can't give away what you don't have. And I believe what God is doing with us as a church is saying, break the shackles off. Break the bondage off. Break the the ties that bind us to the past. Whatever it might be, now is the season to deal with it. Don't put it off any longer. You know, there's lots of marriages in, in struggle. And I'm hearing people saying, we don't need help. You need help. Get help. Don't come to my doorstep when there's a disaster and say, oh, we didn't see it coming. Yes, you did. You chose to retreat or you chose to be defensive and say, I don't need help, or you shifted the blame and said, someone else can deal with it. No, you're responsible for your life. And you're responsible to stand before the altar here and say, God, what is it about me and my relationships that need to be changed and have the courage to let God shine light in? I'm not saying that's easy. That's a really difficult question to ask. But the Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world out there, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in your mind is where you make all those choices and decisions that we've been talking about. So we either think in a worldly way or we've transformed that thinking pattern into a godly way of thinking. And a godly way of thinking is if there's something wrong, fix it, don't ignore it. If there's something wrong, bring it out of the darkness into the light because the truth will set you free. You all know Dr. Phil? You've watched Dr. Phil when you've been homesick one day. He says, this is his number one line, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. So we have to say, yes, Lord, I'm struggling with anger. Yes, Lord, I'm struggling with this. And by owning it, we then say, yes, I'll take responsibility. And then we bring it to God and we let God deal with it bring forgiveness, and then we change the patterning of our mind and we walk in victory. And we don't go back to that place again. We press on and we walk forward. That's God's way. So transformation is primarily linked to what happens between our two ears. This is where the change happens. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because if your mind is changed, then your actions will follow. It's just a natural process. But the only person that control what you choose to think is you. Something's got to be transformed in our headspace to get us to think like God. So the imperative of Romans 12.2 places the onus upon us individually to get our thought life off the world's wavelength and onto God's wavelength. Does that make sense? Here's the solution. I'm going to buy some iPads and we're going to put them around our neck and place them here around our chest. And every thought that you have is going to be shown visually on your chest. Wouldn't you like that? That would be dangerous, wouldn't it? Really, really dangerous. But that's what David said. Lord, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Because really that's the goal, to have a mind that you could 
see everything that was happening in that mind and not be ashamed about it, not feel guilty about it, not feel way down about the way you're thinking. That's the process of Christianity, that as mature Christians, we shouldn't have all this garbage and rubbish flowing through our head. We shouldn't believe, be believing lies. We shouldn't be you know, anxious about things that happen because we'll have steeled our mind with godly patterning. And godly patterning doesn't allow you to start believing lies. It puts up a stop sign and says, hang on a minute, where are you going with that thought, Laura? That's not godly thinking. That's worldly thinking. Eject, eject, eject. Get rid of it. But if we don't have victory in our mind, then what will happen? All sorts of fantasy and, and rubbish. Sorry, Laura, for picking on you. You were just looking at me, so sorry. <laughs> but really, that's what we're talking about in transformation. The decision-making and the start of that transforma transformation happens here. And then it flows out into actions. And then we have victory. And God wants to grow us. So if you don't want to grow, don't come to church. Because you're putting yourself in loggerheads with God. It's God's design and destiny to change us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, to be changed from glory to glory. But if we begin to resist in that process, then it gets ugly. And, you, and there's no freedom. And then it's hard work. And then you come to church and you want to worship, but you feel so weighed down and bogged down. That's sad Christianity. Christianity is about freedom and liberty. The sun set you free. Why? For freedom. <laughs> and that's what we've got to demonstrate to the world. Not that we know about this stuff, but that we live this stuff. And that we've been through the rigors of change and we've come out the other side victorious. Not beating ourselves up anymore. Not living under the weight of sin and shame, but set free. So as a man thinks, so he is. It's that simple. We've got to have victory in our mind to be controlled, to have a pure mind, and to be stilled. Here's the interesting thing. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. So something's got to happen for us to engage in the way that God thinks and tune into that. And once we begin to tune into the way God thinks, then we'll get things right. Because God thinks about us all the time. And he has plans to prosper us and grow us and give us a destiny and a hope and a future. And those things are all positive. And if we can tune into how God thinks about us and what he wants for us and see those things in our mind's eye, then we will see our value. We will understand what God has destined us to do in life. And we won't feel like we're lost or we're on the wrong path. We will know for sure I'm doing what God wants me to do. Which really says that we need to know what God's thinking. We need to be able to hear his voice. Our Activate group at the moment is doing a, a little series and the whole contention of it is being able to hear what God is saying. And we've been doing some challenging exercises where we write down something that we express to God and then we be still and we let God talk to us and then we write what we think God is saying. It's a really interesting exercise to really know that God does speak and he wants to speak into our life and he wants to control the thought patterning of our mind so that we're free to think like God thinks and to respond like God thinks and to see what God thinks. 
then we've got self-control, then we've got victory, then we've got peace. So God thinks about us in a very specific and definite way and when what he thinks about me takes root in my mind and becomes mirrored in my thinking, then my mind is renewed and it's fortified. So I don't go down the wrong path of thinking because I know this is the way God wants me to think. We reprogram so that we have the mind of Christ. That's the end goal. That's what God wants for all of us. So what we need to be able to do as individuals is take an inventory of what's spinning around in our heads and make a decision. That's unhealthy, dangerous thinking, or that's godly, righteous thinking. And shut down one and feed the other. So if there's a black dog in your head that's talking negative and making your life miserable, you need to kill that dog and turn him into a white dog and feed him purity and get him to grow. Does that make sense? I can guarantee you if people are struggling in their relationship with God, it's because of what's happening in here. Things have been allowed to take a foothold and then the foothold's become a stronghold and then the enemy has a spot in his in your mind where he can just come in and you're easy picking. And we're going to have a look at some really practical stuff in a minute. But the vast majority of our relational and self-esteem hang-ups stem from giving ground to the wrong thinking in our heads. We just don't think about ourselves like God does. And we don't think about relationships around us like God does. And we've got to get onto his wavelength. So if we've allowed things to be built up in our mind to be false evidence appearing real or fear, we need to tear those things down. They're not true. But no one can do that but you. And that's why it's such a difficult thing to do because we can teach about this stuff and we can explain it, but then living it out in the everyday life has to be something that we're disciplined ourselves to do. So someone will come and say, Mark, I have a problem with pornography. I keep seeing these images in my head all the time. Okay, are you looking at pornography? Yes, well, stop. <laughs> okay, how do you deal with those images in your mind? Lord, could you please remove them? or erase them, or block them. Can God do that? Yep, absolutely. So what happens if one of those images suddenly comes into your mind? You can look at it, and you can fantasize about it, and you can focus on it, or you can take that thought captive and say, no, I won't give that thought ground. I know it's not pure. I know it's not righteous. I'm taking that thought captive, and I'm making it obedient to Christ. Lord Jesus, would you come and take authority over my mind? Would you remove that thought? And in its place, I will think about what is true, what is noble, what is pure, and you will replace it with something. What are you going to replace it with? The word of God or a truth about God. And then what happens is you're beginning a reprogramming, a repatterning of your mindset so that next time the thought comes, you'll do it quicker. You'll take it captive and you'll make it obedient to Christ. And suddenly the enemy will realize, hmm, this ain't such an easy game anymore. This person's starting to fortify and steal their mindset. Although we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds in our minds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God 
In other words, anything that's in our headspace that is not godly and righteous and pure, we can take it captive, every thought, and make it obedient to Christ. So that if we could look inside each other's heads and see the film that was rolling, we would be able to see all the pure, righteous, noble, godly things that are flowing through our minds. Not the yuck and the filth and the garbage of the world. That's what Jesus wants us to live like. And that's where the battleground is. Let me give you some really simple illustrations. Imagine that I don't like the way that I look. That would be difficult for me because I'm such a handsome man. But <laughs> Stacy, stop laughing. But there's a lot of people that don't like the way that they look. Okay, it's just a very common thing that happens everywhere in life. It may be true. That may, may be the way that you feel. And you might beat yourself up saying that I'm whatever, I'm fat, I'm skinny, I'm ugly, I've got a big nose, whatever. But godly thinking is what's on the outside is not how God's going to judge you. God doesn't judge the outside appearance. He judges what? The heart of a man. So to replace that thinking is to say, well, it doesn't matter if I look, up, look like a busted up Holden that's been beaten to death with sledgehammers because that's not the value system of God. The value system of the world is that what you look like is the most important thing. And if you're 15 and you're a young girl, you have to look spotless and have all this stuff. But that's the world's pattern of thinking. And the Bible says, do not be conformed to the world's thinking because it will lead you down a road of destruction. You've got to replace that thought pattern and say, well, God doesn't value me for what I look like. He values me for who I am on the inside. And then we feed that sort of thought patterning. And then it really doesn't matter so much if we have to go to Aldi in Pakenham and wear our Ugg boots. We don't have to spend half an hour getting ready to go because what we look like on the outside doesn't really matter. And you've all felt the weight of that you know, pressure to conform to the world's way of looking a certain way. And then you'll be accepted. Like when I was a young kid... Going through school, I was skinny, like a rake, like really skinny. I'm still skinny, but I was really skinny. And the peer pressure was that you had to be muscly and manly. I mean, I would never get there unless I took a whole lot of drugs, which would have been very unhealthy. So what happened in my mindset was that, 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 that I started to compensate in my personality because I wanted my appearance to be a certain way. And when it couldn't be, instead of placing godly values in my mind, I placed worldly values in my mind, which made me go and do a whole heap of actions to get acceptance. So I'd go and get stupidly drunk so that people would think I was funny. And then, oh, they'd be talking about me next week. I'd just see Wilson, he got pissed and he vomited everywhere. And I thought that was really cool. It was really stupid. Looking back, it was so stupid. You know, I used to wear two pair of jeans so my legs would look thicker. Because I needed acceptance, but I was looking in my mind to get acceptance from the enemy, really, not acceptance from God. And so the battle had to come somewhere in my spiritual journey to take those court thoughts captive and say, well, God's not judging me about whether my legs are this fat or this fat. He doesn't really care. He wants to know what my heart and my character and my personality are like. And am I loving and caring? Am I nurturing? Those sort of things are the value system of God. So take the th world's thoughts captive, get rid of them, and replace them with godly thinking. 
Now, you've got a choice. I might not look like the world wants me to look, but does it really matter? Well, that's your decision. You've got to decide whether it really matters or not because there'll be helpful and unhelpful thinking that you can go into and you'll end up in a mess if you go down the unhelpful, unhealthy road. Or you can say, well, Lord, there might be some truth in that. I might be 20 kilos overweight. Well, maybe I could be proactive and take some responsibility and go and get myself fit. That would resolve some of the problem. But at the end, it's what happens in here that's really going to matter. Here's a good one. You come to church on Sunday and you hear a group of people heading off to a restaurant for lunch and you don't get invited. Could be true. You might have got overlooked. But you could say, hang on a minute. Well, last time they went out, they included me. Maybe, maybe just somebody forgot. But if you go down the road of, yes, they've overlooked me. Oh, I must have done something wrong. Oh, I bet you they don't like me anymore. You know, and you start beating yourself up mentally. You start feeding the foothold and the foothold becomes a stronghold and suddenly you feel removed from everybody and you distance yourself and then next week you don't come to church because you got left out. So you've got to replace the unhealthy thinking with some helpful thinking. Okay? I'll go and ask them. Nikki and Brett, was there a reason why you didn't ask me to come for lunch today? There was. My BO again? Okay, yeah. But sometimes we dispel a whole heap of stuff if we just go and ask the truth. And someone might have said, sure, you can come. with." I thought Fred invited you. I thought Bill invited you. Sorry, you just got left out. But you could kill yourself in here because it's just a simple thing like that. And so we've got to replace those things. Okay? The truth might be that they don't like you. That would be really sad. But is that God's truth about you? No, it's not. So we have to replace the negatives with the godly positives and the truth. Okay? Here's another one. I overheard someone speaking negatively about me. Okay? Where does your headspace go when you hear someone gossiping about you? Doesn't happen? Oh, did you hear that sermon Mark, Mark preached last week? Oh, it was terrible. He went on for 50 minutes. It was so boring. You know, you hear a lot of that in ministry. And what do you do with it? You go, well, okay, there might be some truth in it. I might have spoken too long or I might have waffled on or whatever. There could be some truth in it. That's okay. But I could, I could be so fearful to get back in the pulpit again next week because of one thing that somebody said. And I allow that thought to just unravel in my head and I go, yeah, well, I'm a failure and I'm not a very good public speaker and, and, and what am I going to preach on next week? And I'm, oh, You know, you could beat yourself up mentally and we do it, don't we? We do it all the time. That's because we haven't got onto the God wavelength and that's what the Lord's teaching us to do. What would be a helpful way of thinking? If it's got truth in it, change it. But unhelpful thinking would be beginning to believe that that were true if it wasn't. And you know, the beautiful part about all this stuff is that we just take it to God and say, God, you show me what's true. And when God shows you what's true, you say, thank you. That's the only thing I'm responsible for. Everything else that everybody says doesn't really matter. And that's why we need to be able to hear God's voice. Because some of the things that I've been hearing when I've been listening to my Activate group read out what God has spoken to them is beautiful. 
It's not ugly thinking. It's not detrimental thinking. It's, it's exhortation to go on to better things. It's, in, it's words of encouragement and love. My son, my daughter, I love you. My eyes follow you everywhere that you go. I long to spend time with you. That sort of language is God language. The world's language is what? Something far inferior. And it will damage you and it will break you up. You know, the simplest way to work this out is really easy. When the thought comes into your head that you think is negative, ask yourself the question, am I being condemned by this thought? Because God will never condemn you. The Holy Spirit, the voice does not condemn. It convicts. And conviction is different. Because condemnation is like this wave or blanket that comes over you that the enemy says you're a failure. And it's like a big general thing. That it doesn't matter what you do to fix anything, you'll always be a failure. And it's like a big blanket that comes over you. But when the Holy Spirit convicts you, it's very specific. And it's about one thing. And it's get this right fix it, and we're back into proper relationship. There's never a sense of condemnation. It's correction. It's very different. But if you feed the enemy's voice, look out. You'll end up in a dark, dark place. If you feed God's voice and focus on his word and hear his voice, then you'll discern very quickly. So winning the battle in our mind, ask the Holy Spirit to convict or reveal unhealthy, unhelpful thinking. Because once those patterns have been set in your mind, it's like the grooves on a record, for those of you that are old enough to remember, they get set. They're the default mechanism in our mind. We default straight to that record and we play it over and over and over and over again. And it becomes so familiar that it actually becomes our identity. It's who we believe we are. That's, that's the biggest lie of the whole thing. Now we begin to believe that it's true. Russell's lost his job this week, okay? Now, he could be at home going, I'm a failure. I can't even get a job. I can't even provide for my wife. What a, what a useless man I am. How uneducated. Like, like, do you understand the language that can begin to roll? And he could beat himself up. Or he could go to God and he could say, God, what are you teaching me through this? What do you want me to learn? And God will reveal his plans and purposes, for I know the plans I have to prosper you to give you a hope and a future, and you'll begin to hear God's perspective instead of the world's perspective, and the future will look bright instead of dark and gloomy. And that principle applies on any level of thinking in our head. If we get God's perspective, we'll have hope. If we get the world's perspective, we'll get what? Condemnation, misery. Go down to Packenham, you'll see misery. Just walk... (laughs) Just just walk down the street and look people in the face and you will realize they are victim to the enemy's ways. They are victims to a thinking pattern that has destroyed their life. This whole nation is thinking that to be successful, you have to have a home, that you have to own it, that you have to have two cars in the garage, that you have to have a backyard, you know, you have to have a superannuation fund and you have to have a retirement plan. That's the world's pattern of success. You apply that pattern to the disciples and they were absolute failures because they had nothing. And yet they were the men that God invested the whole kingdom of God into. Why? Because they weren't living by the world's standards. And somehow we've got to get off the world's standard 
and back onto godly thinking. And when we do that, we're, we're our own best friend. You know what I mean? We can be our own worst enemies by beating ourselves up. Or we can be our own best friends by taking things back to Scripture, hearing God's voice, taking captives those things that are going to rob us. So tear down the strongholds. Denounce the wrong thinking. You know? I had to say, Lord, I'm, it was a sin for me to think that God had created me in a way that wasn't God's plans and purposes, like I was living a lie. God made me to look like this. He wanted me to be this way. And I was fearfully and wonderfully made. So did God make a mistake? No. I just wasn't willing to accept that this was God's tent for me. You know, I wanted the five-room you know, tent instead of the little two-man dodgy one. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I had to come to a point where I said, no, I love myself. Because the Bible says, love your brother as you love yourself. And a lot of Christians don't love themselves. It's partly why we have so many problems, because we haven't learned to accept that God made us the way that he did. And that our standard of acceptance is not whether we look squeaky clean and we have a head full of hair, we don't have wrinkles or whatever. No, we can't live that way. So take the negative thought captive. Don't let it run loose. Evict them. Okay? The police turned up at my house this week to arrest the last person that owned the house because of their foolish behavior. But the beauty of being an owner in a house is that you have authority over what comes through that front door. Same with our mindset. You have authority to say, yes, come on in thoughts. Come and make me feel miserable. Come and rob me of my self-esteem. Or you can say, no. This is the mind of Christ and I will think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is good, whatever is wholesome and I'll fill my headspace up with the things that build me up, not tear me down. And what will happen over a period of time is that you'll pre reprogram your mind so that we could look in there and we go, gee, Jeremy thinks about himself really rightly before God because he doesn't allow lies and accusations to take root. He's got victory. So substitute falsehood for biblical truth. Keep reinforcing rational, godly thought patterns. Because whenever you get inside someone's head and tell me how are you thinking, if it's negative, it's not rational. It really isn't. When you play it out and you, and you give it back to them and say, Kerry, why are you thinking like that? Like, do you really believe that's true? No, maybe. Well, what does God say? Well, God says this and this and this and this. So is that you or God's truth is the truth, right? Yes. Yeah, so believe it and stand on it and proclaim it and don't let the enemy rip the rug from out from under you. Who can stop that? Only you. You're the only person that can control what goes through. Fortunately for me, there's not a lot that goes through my headspace. So it's a bit an easier task. So just remember, don't let the enemy condemn you. He's an accuser and he's a liar. He's the father of lies. And his whole pretense is to build up in your mind a whole heap of lies and half-truths and rubbish. And he wants you to dwell on it. And he wants you to focus on it. And he wants that to be the perspective through which you see everybody and everything. But when we tear that down and we build up a godly mindset, boy, everything changes. It's so free not to have to worry about what people think. Like it's such a victory.
to get to a place in your own walk with God where people can say whatever they want and it doesn't change how you think about yourself. It's freeing. It really is. If someone says, oh, you're one of those Christian... It's like, yep, I am. So what, you know? Oh, look at you, you don't... You know, I remember being on the mission field and people go, well, you don't own a home and you don't own this. And you, it's like, well, who cares? My home's up here. I'm building up a kingdom up there for me, you know? Come and see me in 30 years' time when I'm in my mansion and you're down on the, you know, in the slums. They're, they're going to be slums in heaven? <laughs> Wouldn't be called Pakenham, would it? Yeah, uh, the streets are like gold up there, so it doesn't matter where you live. But you get the point, what I'm trying to say. For us as believers, if we can get this space in here under the authority of Christ and thinking like God thinks about us, it will change everything. And this is where it spawns. This is where it takes root. And that's why the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your heart. No, because God knows that this mind of ours has the potential to destroy us or it has the potential to make us incredibly powerful people. When we've got this thing thinking right, when the computer's loaded up with the right software, it's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you did give us a mind. You gave us a free will and the capacity to choose what we want to choose. Because in that free will, we can choose you and we can choose truth over lies. We can choose righteousness over evil. And Lord, in those cho choices, it's true love. Like what? It's no good talking to your kids and saying, well, Sam, tell me that you love me. That's not love. But it's when we come with free will and we say father god thank you for the way that you made me thank you for this mind that you has that has the capacity to to remember and to and to contemplate and to imagine and to see lord we are fearfully and wonderfully made and you've given us capacity to live a life that is high above the standards and the models of this world and to live in freedom and victory and so that the things that do go through our mind and the things that shape the way we think and the things that shape who we are are birthed in you and come from the throne of God. They're not lies from the pit of hell. And Father, this morning I want to pray for each and every person here. Lord God, you know them intimately. And you know what runs through their head and you know the struggles that they have with self-esteem and you know the struggles that they have we're seeing themselves the way that you do. And Lord, my prayer is simply that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened to know how deep the love of God is for them. And that, Father, where there's struggles and there's been a, an entrenched pattern of thinking that's unhealthy or damaging, that, Lord, you would come with revelation, that you would come with your enlightenment, and help them to take captive those thoughts and lay them at the foot of the cross and leave them there and substitute them with words of life and words of truth and words of purity. And the thinking and the pattern of a godly mindset would become something that we all enjoy and experience. That every bit of ground in our mind would be taken back from the enemy cleaned and purified and sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And that, Father, we would think about whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is good, whatever is righteous, whatever is true. So, Father, help us to change. This week, help us to change the way that we think. Lord, when there's something that triggers us to think the wrong way, then put up a stop sign, Lord. Help us to take it captive and make it obedient to Christ, to tear down those things that have robbed us from really being who we are and for living the truth and for living in freedom. Lord, we want to be people of grace and mercy, humility and love. So, Father, I pray would you set us free wherever there's chains that bind us in our mind, wherever there's shackles, break them in the power of Jesus' name, I pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what goes in your, on in your head, and I'm so glad that I don't, because <laughs> there's enough in my head to get under control. But really, if you're struggling with the way that you think, get some help. It really does help to talk it out, to get people to, to keep you accountable. Sometimes it's called cognitive therapy. We have to retrain the way that we think. And Jesus did that because Satan came at him and accused him of all sorts of things. But then he substituted that with God's word and God's truth. And Satan went away to come back at a more opportune time. And that's what we need to be able to do. When something drops in our mind that's not healthy and pure, we arrest it, take it captive for Christ, and the enemy will go. He's got a fleet. If we command him to go, doesn't mean he won't come back. But next time he comes back, you'll be more ready. So get some help if you need it. Ask someone to pray with you. Get alongside one in, someone in your Activate group. But have the victory. This is the season that God wants us to tear those things down. To reshape how we see ourselves. So when we look in the mirror, I can say, I love you. Not because you're proud or arrogant, because... You're seeing a reflection of the work that God has done in you. You're seeing Christ manifest in you. That's the end goal, to be just like Jesus. And I can see Jesus in most of you. When I interact with you, when I hear the way that you talk, but sometimes I don't see Jesus. No, not at all. Just sometimes I hear things and I think, well, that's, that's not the way God sees you. God loves you more than to think of you like that. And we've got to help one another think the right things. And when we hear something come out of somebody's mouth, say, no, that's not the right way to talk about your wife. Well, that's not the way to talk about your kids. We all need that. I need that at times. Cheryl's always saying to me, Mark, chill out. You know, get a godly perspective on it. We all need that. And that, and that keeping one another accountable is true godly community. And we reshape and we repattern and we reform and we get it right, and we set it right, and we stay right. That's God's design. That makes sense? Good. Hope that helps. You want these, Jonah? No? Do I get to drum and sing now? Yeah. Oh, cool. Cool.